Welcome to episode 34 of the Imperfect Progress Podcast. I'm your host, Anne Guzman. And today I'm talking to you about a topic that is near and dear to my heart, and that is bone health. And I know that a lot of people do not think about bone health, and I get it. When you're out there riding, running, lifting weights, you don't see your bone health changing. You don't really feel your bone health changing. So it often gets ignored and it doesn't get a lot of attention. And that's why I'm trying to bring it to your attention once again. Today, my guest is Dr. Laura John Gregorio. She is a professor in the Department of Kinesiology at the University of Waterloo and a Schlegel Research Chair in Mobility and Aging. She leads the Bone Health and Exercise Science Lab, which leads research on physical activity for older adults and people with osteoporosis. She's a member of the Scientific Advisory Council for Osteoporosis Canada and was on the leadership team that developed the 2020 Canadian 24-hour movement guidelines. And she also led the exercise working group for the forthcoming clinical practical guidelines for management of osteoporosis and fracture prevention in Canada. Whew, that's a mouthful. So we definitely have a bone expert here with us today, which is exactly what we need to dive into this topic. Today, we discuss a lot of important things around bone health. We start by breaking down what a DEXA scan is, and that is the gold standard test you would get if you went to your doctors to get a bone scan, and we talk about that. We discuss the research around yoga for bone health and vibration platforms for bone health. We talk about the role of nutrition and undernutrition in bone health and discuss an important study called the Lift More Study. And that was a study that investigated postmenopausal women doing either a low intensity at home program compared to a heavy lifting, high impact training program and comparing what were the differences on spinal and hip bone mineral density after these interventions. There was also a version of the study done on males. And one thing we do discuss during this podcast is that osteoporosis is not a disease that only affects women. It also affects men. And that's super important because the media often portrays osteoporosis as a women's disease. Besides this, we touch on a lot of other factors, including how to have a holistic fitness program that incorporates strength and cardiovascular health and balance and resistance training. Because these days, if we need to have a separate program for everything we're working on, we're never going to leave the house. And that can be overwhelming. And what happens in those circumstances is people decide, you know what? I'm not going to do anything because this is way too overwhelming. So how can we think about using foundational exercises that hit muscles from every angles, hit your bones from all the right angles, and also what types of exercises and sports are some of the better choices for bone health and why is that? We talk about a lot more, but those are some of the main things we touch on. This episode is chock full of important information and tips. And if you're keen to stay in peak health as an athlete or someone who's active and you want to keep learning more after this episode, 
be sure to head over to anguzman.com and subscribe to my monthly newsletter. And you'll continue to learn about one topic per month, get extra resources if you want to dig even deeper. And on occasion, I'll have some partner discounts that I also share in my newsletter. If you're new to the community and you want to get some of my past newsletters, just drop me an email. I can share some of those with you as well. And be sure to share the newsletter with anyone else who may benefit from it. And as always, never hesitate to drop me an email. Tell me what you learned. If you have any questions or if there's a topic you would love to see a newsletter about, just let me know. So with that, let's jump inside and learn how to build better bones today that can last you a lifetime. Let's do it. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. John Gregorio. Thank you. You can call me Laura. My last name's 12 letters long. I'd probably extend your podcast for like half an hour if you said that every time. Oh, that's awesome. I appreciate it. I'm super excited to have this conversation. I'm I'm a big believer in the importance of bone health. I think that it doesn't get enough attention in the mass media and conversations with experts in the area are important to get out to a broader population because unfortunately fasting's a hot topic and you know all these other shiny things are hot topics but bone health always seems to get pushed aside and i understand that because we don't see what's happening to our bones and it's not like we're going to the gym and we're working out and we're thinking oh look at my muscles no one's saying oh look at my bones so it makes sense to me all the more reason to have more education about it which is fantastic As I said in the introduction, I know that you've been deeply involved in research around bone for many years, and we can touch on on how that got started as well, Um, and also included in program development for the Bone Fit program, which I did take years ago, and that was fantastic, by the way, and the Two Fit to Fracture program. So I definitely want to discuss those today. What I was thinking is that Maybe we could have a conversation starting off with a little bit of bone one-on-one and maybe splitting it into, although bone is something that changes over a lifespan, I thought if we could speak about the importance of bone when we're young and then almost splitting it so that the second half of the podcast we're talking about maybe post-menopause type of thing. But I'd love it if you could start off by watching- And just in general with aging, right? Right. Yes. No, I mean, because osteoporosis in men is definitely an important topic I want to make sure we get through as well. But if you could walk us through the importance of our bone health when we are young and why why that's important over the course of our lifespan. Yeah. So our bones are constantly changing. And I think, you know, people maybe don't think about it that way because, again, you don't observe them changing. But, you know, we're, you know, as we're growing, we're adding in bone in length, and then um, we're adding, you know, bone in width, and our bones are becoming stronger. And, you know, uh, the structure is changing over time. And then in adulthood, they're, they're constantly being remodeled, right? Um, so um, if you have habits that result in bone loss, during that remodeling, you you lose bone. So there's, there's bone changes that are happening throughout our lifespan. Um, when you're younger, um, you gain, you know, a large proportion of your bone mass in the years um, where you're going through puberty and you're going through growth spurts. So um, sort of before puberty and during puberty is kind of your 
time to maximize your peak bone mass, right? So those are the times where you want to do all the things uh, to make sure you're getting, uh, uh, accumulating as much bone as possible. Um, it's a lot harder to increase your bone mass in adults. It's, you can kind of, there are some studies that suggest you might have some small increases in bone mass or changes in bone structure um, in adulthood, but, but definitely are, if you want to maximize it, it's during growth, growth is the best time. Yeah, I'm glad you're, you're explaining that because I think that is a big disconnect. We probably think what I'm doing now is what's going to impact my bones now. But as you mentioned, it becomes more difficult as we get older to to increase that bone mass. Could you just quickly explain what is bone mass and bone mineral density? So, you know, bone's a composite tissue, right? There's like a soft tissue part like a that has collagen in it. And then I think of it like a net almost. And then in between there are, you know, hydroxyapatite crystals. So, you know, I like to think of like rebar and cement, right? It's kind of like, you know, you have these like collagen things that are the rebar and then you have the mineral that's the cement, right? So it's a composite tissue. And, um, you know, when you're when you have a bone density scan, it's really only picking up like the amount of mineral that's there. So um, it doesn't really get at how the bone how get at the bone structure or how it's kind of um, like that the the, the microstructure. It's just sort of how much bone do you have in your body, right? Um, so so we use bone mineral density because there are studies that have been shown it's associated with fracture risk, um, and you know certainly the amount of bone we have is is linked to bone strength. And bone density scans do uh, somewhat uh, control for bone or adjust for bone size in the sense that. Essentially, it's like how much bone is there, and then it's uh, so. If you think about the, the the formula for density, right? It's mass over volume. Well, in an X-ray, when you do a bone mineral density scan, it's mass over area. So it's how much bone is there divided by the area observed in the in the scan, right? Because it's two dimensional, um, and area is two dimensional. So that's what they're calculating. So it's sort of controlling for your bone size, but not entirely because it's not getting that third dimension. Does that make sense? It does. And it brings up a, a really great point because, correct me if I'm wrong, but if you're under a certain weight, that becomes a risk factor for osteoporosis, which we'll define and talk about. And so for someone who is very slight, let's say you weigh 110 pounds, even if you're doing everything right, could you then still be at risk that your bone mineral density test would mark you as having low bone mineral density? There's a, there's a couple layers there. So some people who are very thin, um, maybe A, didn't achieve their peak bone mass or because maybe they're, you know, um, you know, they're the reason why they're thinner because of their eating habits or exercise habits or at, during adulthood, uh, if the habits are such that they, um, you know, maybe are losing bone because of weight loss or chronic under eating. But also if a person just happens to be a small person, um, then their bones are smaller. The bigger the bo your bones are, the stronger they are in the sense that like the the mass is kind of distributed further away from like the center or wherever you're, the axis of bending. Now I'm getting into biomechanics. But anyway, the point is, is that bigger bones are harder to break, right? Which makes sense, right? right. Yeah. Um, like if I had like a pencil and it was a really thin pencil and I tried to break it versus like a really thick one, right? It's right. bigger bones are harder to break. So certainly people who are smaller and thinner, you know, it's easier to break their bones. But then there's the layer of, um, do they also have just low bone density because of, because of habits um, that maybe cause bone loss or didn't allow them to reach peak bone mass. That makes sense for sure. Like the imagery of the pencil. Um, 
I want to circle back. You mentioned that what we do when we're young is very important for reaching that peak bone mass. I find that innately my daughter who's six tends to do these intermittent type spurts of exercise unless she was told otherwise she's not going to go run a five kilometer and and start cycling for, for 30 kilometers. So what types of sports are the most impactful for children and young adults, you know, before their mid twenties that are going to help you reach that peak bone mass. And on the other side of that, what types of sports could be detrimental? So it's really interesting. So when you look at the animal research, um, it suggests that um, the magnitude of the loading and the kind of um, rate at which you strain bones and, you know, having different directions of uh, loading uh, tend to be the ones that the things, the factors that influence it. And interestingly, um, there is some research to suggest that um, bone cells can habituate. So actually intermittent loads, like they did this one study, I can't remember if it was in rats or mice, but basically they did like 360 cycles of loading all at once, or they divided it like twice a day or like three or four times a day. And they found that the shorter, more inter- intermittent bouts were actually more um, osteogenic. So, you know, your daughter's like, you know, jumping up and down, you know, a few times, 10 times a day might actually be better than going for a run. Um, so, so magnitude, so like the Im- amount of impact, the um, direction. So one thing that if you look at like um, studies, like cross-sectional studies, that look at different types of athletes and who has stronger bone mass, like soccer players actually have really good bone mass in their legs. And that makes sense because, you know, they're running um, in multiple directions and there's lots of cha- direction changes and, and stuff like that, right? So it, it makes sense if you think about sort of the the, ty- the characteristics of loading that can influence your bones. So, but the other thing is you actually want people to do it consistently. So, a lot of it is picking activities that people like to do that we, they will continue to do as well, right? So if a kid likes gymnastics, great. If they like soccer, great. Um, I, I, at that age, I just promoting physical activity, like, and on a regular daily basis, um, is probably more important than going, you must jump up and down five times, 20 times a day for your bones. Um, just cause they're not going to like, you know, kids are not going to listen to you. Yeah. And do that, right? So getting them involved in sports they enjoy that allow for, you know, impact um, is, is probably the most important thing. That makes sense. I love the whole notion of having that intermittent versus let's say cycling or long distance running and how there might be that threshold where the impact, you know, no longer is beneficial to bone. And it makes me think about young teens who might be heavily into endurance cycling or running, if they're not also incorporating strength training, and like you say, multidirectional, and maybe they're expending too much energy and not fueling enough, like what are some of the problems that you can run into even as an endurance athlete, as a teen? Yeah. So I think we need to kind of separate the loading and the Right. The yes. Yeah. So, 
you know, there's people who have, um, who don't get enough because they have an eating disorder or they have, um, you know, dietary restraints. They don't have a clinical eating disorder, but they might have um, habits that cause them to maybe undereat in uh, somewhat intentionally. And then there's the unintentional undereating where they're, you know, they're athletes and they're expending a lot of calories and they're not realizing how many they actually need. And so they have a very low body weight. Um, and that can affect their performance, but it can also then affect all kinds of hormones, which then can cause bone loss, or it can kind of essentially shut down reproduction because your body's like, okay, we can only handle so many processes going on at once because we don't have enough calories. So we got to shut down some. So we don't really need reproduction right now. So we're just going to shut that down. And that shuts down gonadal steroid production and causes IGF-1 levels to change. And that can cause bone loss or not allowing people to reach peak bone mass, right? Right. So um, that's that's the worry when it, when you have sort of under eating uh, relative to calorie expenditure. Um, so certainly there are certain sports that can help maintain bone mass, but kind of hard to do that when you're shutting down the hormone system. So I think you need to um, certainly need to get people involved in sport, but you need to make sure they're getting enough calories to support the activity that they're doing. Right. So if you are, let's say, a 20 year old endurance athlete and you're doing we'll choose cycling, a lot of cycling, non-weight bearing sport. And you find out that you have low bone mineral density. I'm not sure how you'd come across that, if I'm honest, because it's not something that most 20 year olds, unless you break something, end up they having break something. Right, yeah. right. So that would be, what type of data have we- factor. Right, yes. And what have you seen as far as, is there a capability to overcome the potential of what you were just saying, which is either restricting energy or expending so much energy that your body isn't left with enough calories. Can you overcome that with any type of high impact exercise? So I don't know if there's studies sort of comparing, like it wouldn't kind of be ethical to do studies comparing the scenarios where you like get someone in underfed and then give one no, an yeah, impact. Yeah, no, I get that. But yeah. I think that, um, you know, certainly it would be really hard to overcome it without actually addressing the under eating, right? Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, you can load as much as you want, but if, if you've got, if you, your hormone levels are such that your bones are not responsive to, or we're not able to um, remodel in such that your formation is higher than your uh, uh, bone resorption, then you're not, it's, you're not going to be able to compensate. So you have right. to address the calorie expenditure. Um, and I think, um, I think that you're right. Like people don't know necessarily that, um, you know, there is having an effect on their bone mass. And I don't even want to restrict this conversation to athletes because it happens in throughout adulthood. Like we, we did some qualitative interviews with, um, women over 60 and, you know, there's the changes in your body that occur over, you know, in you know, in middle age and an older age. And there's this kind of in the media, like this focus on having, you know, being thin and, you know, being even for health, like being low body weight for your health. And so people seem to be constantly dieting. Right. Right. And, you know, when you lose weight, you lose muscle, bone and fat right? It's not, it's not like you preferentially lose fat, right? So unless you are doing activities to try to compensate like resistance training. So there's, there's a study where they took um, older adults who are 65 and older who are obese or very overweight, and they actually put them all on a diet. So some were just on a diet and then one was doing aerobic training, one was doing resistance training, one was doing both. And they found that they all lost weight. Um, the people who... Um, 
did resistance training, they were able to somewhat prevent muscle and bone loss. They still lost a little bit, but not as much. Whereas those that did aerobic training or just went on a diet lost muscle and bone. So these are even in older adults. So if you have, if, you're, if you've chronically been on a diet, you know, whether you play sport or not, you can be at risk of this situation where you're, you may be not losing bone over time at a higher rate than you might with regular aging. Um, and you can certainly try to compensate for that with exercise um, and doing resistance training or impact training, but you really should make sure you're trying to get adequate calories. I'm not sure if that answers your question. It does. Yeah. And I think you're making a, a very important point. We said earlier that when you're six or 10 or 12, you're not thinking, I'm going to go do exercise for my bones. But when we're mature enough, we can start to incorporate that decision intentionally and say, sure, I want to do cardio, but I'm also going to do these four exercises at the gym and some balance training because I care sure. about my bones. So most people listening to this podcast are probably at the age where we're mature enough to say, okay, I should pay attention to this because as you said, this is a lifespan thing. So if you're 25 and listening or 40 and listening at any age, we can still have an impact. Now the impact is going to be smaller when you're older, but it makes me think about the lift study, which I know you're familiar with. Would you mind telling us a little bit about it? Because I think it's important in that, first of all, an older population and not being afraid to lift heavy with the capabilities to do so. But what did they find, generally speaking, when comparing groups that did a training regime versus those that didn't? You're talking about the Lift More study? Lift More and More study, yeah. yeah. So yeah, so that was a study looking at um, high-intensity resistance and impact training in people with low bone mass. So not necessarily osteoporosis, but lower than normal. So it would be a T-score minus one or below, right? And so they randomized them to kind of a home exercise program that didn't really involve much strength training or, uh, you know, this very like low intensity training or this high intensity program. So 85% of 1RM strength training and then impact, like high impact uh, training. Now they did condition them up to that point. They didn't just start high impact. Um, and I, I think that's really important to point out because... Um, you know, you start with really high impact and people are going to hurt themselves. So you, they kind of condition them in terms of conditioning their muscles and stuff like that and started lower and then moved up. And the same with the resistance training. Um, but it was a fairly high intensity program. And they found that uh, spine bone mineral density was higher in the intervention group than in the control group. And there was a small increase in hip bone density in the intervention group compared to the control group. So the things I would um, point out, uh, one is that um, these were fairly healthy um, postmenopausal women. They've replicated in men. The study in men is a bit different. Um, it's not it's entirely the same design, um, but they've seen similar findings in men. Um, but they're pretty healthy. So they did exclude people who had like disc problems or like fairly significant arthritis that would affect the ability to do the impact training and that sort of stuff. So you're looking at pretty healthy people who can do that type of training. And they did see some really great, uh, increases in bone density. Um, I would like to see that study replicated. And I also would like to see it replicated in a kind of more pragmatic, um, group. So not excluding those people who would struggle. The other thing that we don't know is, is it the resistance training or is it the impact training or do you have to do both? 
right? Because they did both. So um, that's the other thing. Uh, so we actually are doing a study right now looking at resistance training and we okay. have a control group, well, not a control, like they're doing a low, similar, like low and lower intensity, like balance and posture exercises and then a uh, moderate intensity group and then high intensity group. Cause what I want to know is, does it have to be high intensity? A lot of people are intimidated by that. Right. Um, and so um, moderate intensity, you know, more repetitions tends to be a bit more volume. So we're trying a bit to control for volume, but the idea of can you do a moderate intensity program does it have to be high intensity so we're going to com- do some comparisons between the group as a secondary objective um yeah i don't know if that's, that answers the question but yeah no i thought it was interesting because there's often conversation that once you're past x age you cannot increase your bone mineral density but that study would have suggested otherwise even if it was a few percentages um higher than the the group that didn't do the high intensity and impact training. Is it in your mind still a great outcome to maintain bone mineral density? Yes, because we start losing bone mass sometimes as early as our 30s. Um, and, and again, it all depends on what's going on in your life. Like, so you know, if someone's going on diets and losing weight, or if they are sick for a while and loading a lot less, or, you know, take up a new sport that causes them to be under eating for a while or whatever it happens to be. So, um, you know, throughout our lifespan, we're losing bone starting in middle age. Um, so basically whether or not you have low bone mass is a combination of like what peak bone mass did you start at? And then what bone loss did you experience throughout your lifespan? And then you layer onto that things like, okay, um, when you went through menopause, like how much bone loss did you have? Cause some people have a lot and some people have a little, um, and then did you have other things like, did you have to go on medications that affect your bones? Did you, um, have, um, trying to think of another example, there's certain conditions like medical conditions that affect bone. So did you, if you layer on those things and the risk starts changing, right? So, you know, whether or not you're at risk of fracture is this kind of combination of factors and everyone's combination is unique. Absolutely. I feel like it would be important to define osteoporosis. And then if you could just explain, since you've had so much experience with the bone fit and the fit to fracture, you know, seeing and probably interviewing people with osteoporosis for a lot of your studies, what is it like to live with osteoporosis? Because I think one of the the problems with thinking about bone health when we're younger is we can imagine a heart attack. We can imagine living with diabetes because we've seen it. It's in the news all of the time. What's it like to live with osteoporosis? And what yeah, is I mean, osteoporosis? I, and I, ideally, that's a question we ask someone who has it, but I can try to you know, put together an answer based on my interactions with people who have osteoporosis. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll say like, osteoporosis is a bone disease where um, there are changes in both bone density and structure that incre- result in an increased risk of fracture, right? And it can happen at any age. It's more common uh, as we age because everybody loses bone mass with age. Like no one, everyone does. Um, so the, the number of people at risk increases with age just because of that. Um, so in terms of what happens, I think there's um, different experiences, but um you know, when someone is diagnosed, it's now something they have to think about and they have to make decisions about medication, whether they want to go on it or not, whether they want to change their diet or exercise habits or not. Um, But it's this weird thing where you don't actually feel different. 
um, and unless you've had a fracture. Um, but it can cause pe- some people, not all, but some people to feel, to think twice about some of the things that they choose to do. So we will get lots of questions from people, you know, now is it safe for me to do yoga? Is it safe for me to lift my grandchild? And it's really hard to answer those questions. It's not like we have randomized trials, randomizing people to yoga and no yoga and waiting for people to fracture. Like those studies would be giant, right? (laughs) Because the fractures, you take a long time to happen. Um, So the best we can do is say, you know, we want people to encourage people to do the things they want to do, but understand what their risk level is and whether they can modify things to reduce the risk. Um, and when is it too much? So if someone has a history of multiple spine fractures um, or real high risk of falls or very poor balance, I might say, okay, going to a beginner yoga class that's taught by someone who doesn't know anything about osteoporosis probably isn't the right choice for you, right? Um, maybe you need to find you know a series of yoga poses that are safer for you if, if yoga is a choice that you an activity you want to do and yeah you probably shouldn't lift heavy furniture right like this is there's sometimes it's it's finding you know what people should do but that fear and that uncertainty can be really stressful for people right um because they feel like now they can't do the things that they used to be able to do or wish to do um so that that can be stressful so i think that like you said like you experience angina you experience a heart attack you don't have the same thing with osteoporosis, but you can sometimes have that fear that you, you know, you're, you may be hesitant to do things that you might've done before. And then once you have a fracture, it causes pain. It can uh, affect your physical functioning, depending on where the fracture is. Some fractures result in chronic pain or chronic impairments to physical functioning. Um, so hip fractures, um, you know, the mortality rate, this is something people don't get. Like you have a, a fracture, they think you have a fracture, you go to the hospital, surgeon fixes it, you go home, you're good. But really, like some fractures, like a hip fracture, the mortality rate after hip fracture can be more than 25%, right? Um, fractures are more common than uh, breast cancer, stroke, and heart attack combined. So they're very common. Um, and then, yeah, hip fractures, high mortality rate. And the mortality rate is higher in men than it is in women, which a lot of people think of osteoporosis as a women's disease. One in three women get osteoporosis or have, will have an osteoporotic fracture in their lifetime. One in five men will. So it's still fairly common in men. They just tend to have them at older age. They tend to have more comorbidities. So that's why they're more likely to die, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we have a hip fracture. So, okay, so after hip fracture, you know, 25% of people will die. 50% of the survivors will not recover the mobility or independence that they had prior to their fracture. They may use an assistive device. They may need to have to move to long-term care or live in an assisted living setting. So they can have significant impact on your functioning. But even spine fractures can cause impaired functioning, impaired breathing. Um, they can um, increase your risk of premature death. There's studies that show that. Um, and, and people don't think of spine fractures. They always think of the hip fractures and the wrist fractures, but spine, spine fractures can actually have a significant effect on your health and well-being. That makes sense. Is it related to the fact that you're starting to compress some of your organs if you're hunching and losing posture? Sometimes, yeah. So some people with, um, if you have multiple spine fractures, um, and spine fractures are also a bit of a continuum too, right? So if you think about your vertebrae as like a block, right? Um, The amount of compression 
is sort of the severity of the fracture. So you can have a little bit of compression or a lot of compression, right? Um, and if you have a lot and then you have multiple of those, you're, you then lose height. Um, the, the shape of your spine changes, so you can develop a hyperkyphosis or a curved spine. Um, and if you think about that, like if you hunch right now, you have less space in your stomach, less space in your lungs. So you can't breathe as well. You may be more likely to have complications as a result of pneumonia. You may get fuller faster, which means you can't eat as much, which means you have low calories, which means you're losing weight, right? Um, it can affect your, you know, gastrointestinal system. It can affect its mobility, can cause constipation, um, which all contributes to well-being. And the other thing is it cause chronic pain, right? So if you have multiple fractures, it can be quite painful. And sometimes, you know, you can have chronic pain associated with that. Right. That's a lot. It always blows my mind that, yeah, I feel like this should be on the, like the 5 p.m. news. Yeah. <laughs> like people need to know about these things. Unfortunately, um, it's it starts happening and then there's not much you can do. Like once, I mean, if you're now having multiple fractures, it's really hard to like recover the bone mass that you could have built, you know, <laughs> I think that's the way I think about it is like, you can't go back to your childhood and fix it. And you can't, you can't go back 20 years and fix those problems. And the ability to kind of recover, if you're now at severe osteoporosis, the ability to take you back to a normal bone density is, I just, I've not seen it in studies, like you can go on medications that can increase your bone mass. And people tend to be anti-medication, but there's definitely people for whom medications are a really good idea because the reduction in fracture risk with some of those medications is quite high. So if your fracture risk is high, it's probably a good idea. And if you are told that you have a bone mineral density that's equal to having osteoporosis at 30 versus at 70, is your likelihood of regaining some of that bone mineral density going to be higher if you catch this when you're younger? Um, I don't know. Because, um, I mean, the the changes in bone mass, I think that, I think just based on other changes that are happening with aging, at 30, it might be easier for you to take up resistance training and impact loading and all these other things because you're just fitter, right? Like you're healthier. Right. Like, because you have to remember, you know, you're not only losing bone, you're losing muscle, your, you know, your balance is changing, your vision is changing, all kinds of stuff is changing. So, you know, at 70, like it might be harder for you to, to do the exercise program or change your habits even, um, you know, than it might be at 30. Um, just so, so that would be the difference, I think. Um, and then, then you layer on our bones less responsive, possibly. So there is some studies that suggest that maybe um, estrogen can actually modulate the responsiveness of bone to exercise. And so, yeah, if you're postmenopausal, is it possible that it may be harder to increase bone mass than when you're younger? I don't know that we have studies that can say that with certainty. So that's why I'm a bit hesitant to say it, but mm -hmm. I have seen some studies that suggest that. Um, right. So yeah, I definitely think the earlier, the better in terms of taking up resistance training and doing things that involved impact and just challenging your body, right? right. Challenging it so that you can continue to do the things you want to be able to do. Yeah. You made a great point earlier that if someone is diagnosed with osteoporosis, they might become very nervous and afraid to do things, which for me almost would make me think that it could perpetuate it, which is why you have these great programs like the Bone Fit and Two Fit to Fracture to be able to help people feel safe in the exercises that they choose to do once diagnosed with osteoporosis. But I can see how you could start doing less and less and less because of the fear mm -hmm. 
And then you're just unable to actually contribute to trying to strengthen your bones or prevent fractures. Everything you're saying just screams that this is all about prevention because we have to start young. And again, it's so difficult because to get across the importance is hard. I didn't think about it when I was 20 or even 30, you know, competing as an athlete. It just wasn't in my mind. Now, having said that, I think education is improving and these programs are um, out there a little bit more. I know Osteoporosis Canada is just a wealth of knowledge to go to the website. And I know that you have videos on, on YouTube and probably on the Osteoporosis Canada site as well. What type of, um, I guess, resources do you recommend if someone does go to Osteoporosis Canada? So we have a, so we have a bunch of resources on the website um, that were created when we so two fit to fracture is basically um, a set of exercise recommendations. So it's not necessarily a program that someone follows, but more like guidelines, right? Like here's what you should do. Um, we actually there's new guidelines coming out later this year, so um, you'll be able to look those up. But the, the the messaging is fairly similar. I think there's just a higher kind of emphasis on the strength training and the balance training, because these are things that are probably best bang for your buck if you had to pick things. Um, and also things that are probably reachable for a greater proportion of the population. So we think about impact training, high impact training may be hard for lots of people to do. Um, but, um, you know, certainly something I encourage people to incorporate impact as well. And that is in, in the guidelines. Anyway, so there are new new recommendations, um, but the the two fit to fracture tools. There's like a one pager. There's a booklet. There's some videos, but they're basically just around um, messaging around the types of things you should consider. One of the things we really struggle with is you can't just put up some videos and say do these exercises um, because the the exercises that I might recommend for a 45-year-old woman who has early osteoporosis because she's had a hysterectomy or the man who's had prostate cancer um, and now has had bone loss or the 85-year-old woman that is falling and has already has three vertebral fractures are all very different, right? I'm going to start at a different intensity. I might choose different exercises based on their preferences and their goals and their abilities. So I can't just say everybody do this exercise. It has to be sort of um, fit in with their goals and their abilities and preferences. So some people might start with just a sit to stand, whereas other people I might progress into a back squat fairly quickly. <laughs> so um, I think that's the challenge we have in de developing public education materials. And I think something that people don't appreciate is that we still want people to do things at a moderate to high intensity. And I you know, I would lean high for me, but, um, you know, some people that's maybe not, we don't know yet if we they need to be high. So, um, but yeah, pushing people towards that. And so people you see, like, if you Google like strength training and older adults images, you're going to see older people using bicep curls, doing three pound, with three pound weights, right? Cause that's what the, the vision is of an older person in an exercise class doing strength training. And I mean, number one, bicep curls would not be my first go-to as an exercise. And num right, um, number two um, is you know it's probably not the intensity that that person in that picture needs, right? So strength training should be hard, and that's really hard because you don't start people really high. You start them with teaching them form and getting them used to the exercise, and then you slowly progress the intensity over time. And that's something that's really hard in public edu education material. So what I would say is the other type of resource people should look to is how do they learn 
what exercises are right for them and how do they learn how to design a program and progress it over time? Because progression and overload are important. So, um, you know, working with someone who not only is bone fit trained so that they have some knowledge of osteoporosis, if they have access to someone who's bone fit trained, but also someone who has a solid knowledge of how to do strength and conditioning programs properly, how to teach balance exercises properly, those sorts of things. Because, you know, not everyone does, right? So um, that's the other resource I would say is like maybe get some advice on what's good mm-hmm. for you. You know, we have a st- this study going on where we're doing strength training and in the people who are coming in person, you know, um, you have some people in the gym who are like, you know, they've been in the study for four or five months and they're deadlifting over a hundred pounds and, you know, someone will come in and it's like their first day and they're like, Oh my God, like, am I going to be doing that? And they're like a little bit surprised. And then, you know, all of a sudden you, you know, they, four months later, they're doing it. Right. So it's, but it takes a while to get them there. Right. Yeah. No, that's amazing. It's great that you're you're doing that. I imagine so many people that leave your studies have a new lifestyle, which is fantastic. Like what a great uh, outcome of doing research. Yeah. That's not always well, we'll the case. We'll find out. We'll find yeah. out. Right? The study's not over. So we don't actually yeah. know. Like what if it shows there's no effect? Like maybe it here's the thing, not one study is gonna tell you with certainty what the truth is, right? You need replication. Hmm. And so yes, there have been studies that show that strength and impact training can increase bone mass, but we don't know if strength training alone can. We don't know if it needs to be monitored or high. So maybe our study might be negative and show no effect. So right. I can't tell you for sure what's going to happen. And also it's, you know, this has been shown in cardiac rehab, like you can get people to make changes and make awesome changes and they're really excited about them. But sometimes when the structure is gone, it's hard to maintain those habits. And so um, it, it's hard to know what the... Re- what's most effective to get people to stick with the the habit changes as well, right? I mean, I'm a person, I'm an exercise physiologist and there are weeks where I don't get to the gym and do the plan that I wanted to do, right? So like, if I'm not doing it always the right way, like, and I can't always stick to it, I'm sure it's hard for people who don't have the same background, right? Oh, for sure. My dad had a heart attack a long time ago and he always has to go back to St. Joe's for cardiac testing. And my dad works out, he goes to the gym, but he loves that accountability. He actually wants to go back for the stress test to be like, all right, I mean, good shape, right? He's 80, (laughs) but I mean, it's still like that accountability matters and he knows it's coming once a year and legitimately encourages him to to work out, which is different than being in a study maybe every two weeks or so. So yeah, accountability is super important. I wanted to circle back for a second to let's uh the endurance athlete scenario and ask what are some of the most vulnerable areas that someone would have low bone mineral density and whether they're an endurance athlete or not i know that we can't give a blanket cookie cutter these are the exercises but assuming someone did have range of motion are there exercises that you'd recommend just to make sure that you're at least hitting the bones in a certain plane and getting the load down or through your body in certain directions. So the first part of that is what are some of the most vulnerable areas for low bone mineral density? And let's say an endurance athlete. There's a multi-part answer there. Um, So in general, there are certain, when you talk about osteoporotic fragility fractures, so these are fractures that occur due to osteoporosis, you know, spine, um, wrist, humerus, 
hip, those are very common locations, but it doesn't mean that it, they can't happen at other location really. Like, cause often when you're losing bone mass, you're losing in bones all over your body. Right. Um, it's just mm-hmm. that those tend to be vulnerable because of, because of their percentage of trabecular bone that is there, but also you tend to fall on your hip. You tend to flex your spine. You fall on an outstretched hand. Interestingly, yeah. there's over the lifespan, there's changes in the um, frequency of those types of fractures. So wrist fractures are, you know, much more common in people under 75 years of age. And it's thought that it's because when you're younger, you have the reaction time. And actually, this goes back to your question about what's the difference between a 30 year old and seven year old. So a 30 year old, if they're, they are walking at a faster, and I, sorry, this is very ageist because there's lots of 70 year olds that are very fit. So I'm, I don't want to say like age is the only thing, but if we look on average, you know, in, in people who are in middle age, they tend to have a faster walking speed. They tend to might have a faster reaction time, those sorts of things. And those things change with aging. So I'm walking down the street. I trip over a curb or a rock. I, what do I do? I fall, I put my hand out, right? So I'm gonna break my wrist and my humerus right? That's what's going to break first because that's where I fall and the load goes, right? If I'm not walking as fast, so maybe let's use it that way, the speed, it's not the age that matters, it's the speed. So if I'm not walking as fast or I don't have as good reaction time because of age, because of other health conditions, whatever, um, then I might not put my hand out and then I might fall and hit my head and have a head head injury or I might fall and land on my hip. So the risk of hip fracture increases exponentially with age because of some of those age-related changes. But before the age of 75, the most common fractures are humerus and wrist. And then spine fractures and hip fractures increase exponentially with age. So that's general osteoporosis. Now you want to talk about athletes. There's different types of fractures. There's osteoporotic fractures and there's stress fractures. Stress fractures are very different. And they occur um, often in the bones most loaded. In and and so in an athlete that's at risk because they have low bone mass or low bone strength, or they just they are loading too much relative to their capacity for repair. Right. So you don't necessarily have to have low bone mass to have a stress fracture. You're just loading. Um, uh, the volume of loading is uh, too much compared, or the 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 magnitude or volume of loading or cumulative amount of damage in your bones is greater than your capacity for repair. And when you have low bone mass, then it's worse, right? <laughs> it happens sooner. And so the fractures will be occurring in the bones that are most loaded. So in a runner, that might be in your long bones, like your femur and your tibia, right? It, sorry, a long distance runner. In right. a sprinter, or, you know, in someone who's uh, playing basketball, that might be in your metatarsals right? Because high forces on your forefoot, right? You know, in your foot, right? Mm-hmm. So the bones that are going to be affected are very different depending on the type of sport you play. Um, and I don't know necessarily that you're, I don't think it's about doing separate exercises to strengthen just those bones. I think it's about addressing the risk factors for relative energy deficiency in sport, but also the risk factors for stress fracture. And that has to do with how you um, approach progressive overload and how you approach your training program and your periodization, right? Rather than, you know, just dealing with, okay, well, if I just add in these exercises, I'm going to stress proof my bones, right? That's not what we do. We actually say, okay, we need to make sure we're doing gradual progression. We need to have some deload time. We need to make sure we're getting adequate calories and protein and calcium for the, our body's needs, Right. Does that, does that answer your question? 
It does. And you make a good point because if I were to be an athlete who was under eating, over exercising, um, and then now I'm going to add some new weight training routine as well, but I'm not addressing the nutrition. I'm actually expending more energy now as well. So it's really, yeah, it makes a lot of sense what you're saying. I guess what I was trying to have you answer, but you're saying the right thing that it's not going to be a, here's the fix is if there are certain movements that someone would want to incorporate into a training plan, assuming you're also taking care of everything else that would be beneficial for your lumbar spine and, you know, let's say your, your clavicle and your, so kind of like the push pull, um, press squat type of thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, like I, I think so. Okay. We're talking about athletes. We ought, we, we want to balance the kind of designing the training program for performance, but also making sure that we don't create any imbalance. Right. So that requires a very skilled person Mm -hmm. in strength and conditioning that actually has an experience with that particular sport. Right. Right. Um, but so you want your whole body to be balanced in terms of conditioning and fitness and all that stuff. But, you know, so you got a thrower, you know, you got to make sure you balance out all the other muscles. Right. Right. Um, but, um, but just in terms of general strength training programs, yeah, you want to make sure you're addressing major muscle groups, but you also don't, you want to rotate, you want to periodize, you want to change your program over time so that you reduce the risk of overuse injuries and you, um, allow, um, you know, for you, you don't reach peaks as well or plateaus, right? So, right. but yeah, in general, like if I'm designing an exercise program for someone who's not done resistance training before, I'm going to make sure I, I actually like to stick with the f- foundational movements because it's less exercises and less complicated, right? So mm-hmm. I'll have some sort of squat movement, I'll have some sort of hinge movement. Now, it's my preference, again, like depending on how much people are willing to do, I like a hinge with the knees bent and then hinge with the knees straight, like so a deadlift and a hip thrust like I would like both ideally but um I might alternate have one in one workout one in the other one um so a squat movement a hinge movement sometimes two um you know having a push movement like a horizontal push um and then a vertical press so some people use push and press interchangeably so I think about Mm -hmm. it as vertical and horizontal right right so that we're working shoulders you know the, the vertical one will also get some good back extension in there um and then a pull exercise. And again, if you can, you do pulls in horizontal and vertical directions. You do press push in horizontal and vertical directions so that you're addressing the needs of all the muscles in your body. So that's like the basics. And then if I can, mm-hmm. I'm going to throw in some exercises for abdominal muscles and back extensors. So I might throw in a dead bug and a bird dog. I like carries a lot. So um, very functional, but also really good for all different parts of your body. Good for grip strength. So I like carries mm-hmm. because um, when I was pregnant, I developed some neuropathy in my hands and it affected my grip strength. So I started doing a lot of carries because I find it really helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, so another example, so carry. So I would throw in exercises like that, but then mix it up. And then I uh, like dynamic mobility. So I'm not a big stretching fan. Um, mm-hmm. There are some things I like for stretching, but for the most part, I, I like the you know, movements like, like I like doing bear crawls and like, you know, um, crab walks and that kind of stuff to get my body moving. Right. Right. So those types of things as well. Um, so I would, for just the general approaching this, I think, you Mm -hmm. know, starting with that is good. And then 
can you now come up with some ways to incorporate impact? So maybe, you know, you come up with some, you know, step ups, um, maybe you come, you add, you know, some, uh, lower impact, in, uh, impact exercises and then progress to higher impact. So maybe you're doing some, you know, drop jumps or depth jumps at some point once you progress up to it, but there's a need to condition your muscles to be prepared for that level of impact. You shouldn't just start doing those. Right. Um, yeah. so you, you start with lower impact stuff, uh, like heel drops and that kind of stuff. And then you, you, and, and re- so resistance training can help condition you for that. Right. And then you kind of maybe add some speed to some of your resistance training exercises and then add some, you know, lower impact plyometrics and then progress upward. So I would, I do think it's good to incorporate those, whether it's with skipping or, you know, uh, jump squats or whatever it happens to be. So. Right. No, it's great that you keep coming back to progressing. The last thing we want is people to leave the podcast and go do drop jumps. (laughs) When they haven't done anything like that for years. Right, right. So it's thinking about how do you start doing those? And so sometimes it's just changing the speed of the things you're already doing. And then, you know, doing a similar movement, but with a lower height and then slowly changing the height over time, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. No, that's something I put out a question on uh, Instagram because, you know, people love social media. Just some things that people would be interested to ask or hear about regards to bone health. And one of the ones that came a few times was, is yoga beneficial for my bones? What do we know about that? There are very few studies. Um, There's a person in the US that has done a few studies. And I I hate to say this, I don't like to, you know, but the, the quality of the studies is very low. And so I really struggle to make any inferences from those studies. Um, they also have a pr- kind of program that they sell. So there's a bit of conflict of interest there. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, I would say that there's not enough evidence to say that yoga can actually maintain or increase bone mass. Um, I think it can improve physical functioning. There's a study going on right now to see if it can actually prevent falls. So um, mm. you can interview Ann Tiedemann about that in a few years when her study is yeah. done. Um, <laughs> but she's in Australia. Uh, but uh, so and I mean, it makes sense. Like, if, And it also depends on the type of yoga you're doing, right? So there's some yoga that's like half of it is lying on a mat, right? Or yeah. doing seated things on a mat. So that's not going to improve your, improve your balance all that much. But if you're doing lots of crazy balance poses, then maybe it will. But there's that line where you have someone who has impaired balance, they can actually fall and hurt themselves during yoga as well, right? And there's actually a case series that showed that suggested there were spine fractures due to certain yoga postures, because some of them are quite extreme, right? Like you think about the mm-hmm. I always forget the name of them, like Urksasana. I can't remember what it is, but it's like the the when you're bending over backwards, like the wheel, you know, and hyperextension or the one where you like the plow pose, right? And Mm -hmm. actually, there was a study that showed that that the case series, so that has limitations, but that said that these fractures might have been due to yoga in the fractures in the spine, actually due to yoga. So, Mm -hmm. what I say to people is, if you enjoy doing yoga and you think you can do it safely then do it if you enjoy it because mm-hmm. you know that's important it's important to have choice but if your goal is increasing bone mass it is not the best choice right because there's very little data to show that that it can mm-hmm. increase or maintain bone mass excellent and what about vibration boards um so my read of the data suggests that I would not advise using vibration platforms um the higher quality studies tend to show no effect there's lots of studies, not all of them are higher quality. Some of them use post hoc analyses to suggest that there is an effect. Um, 
Angela Chung did a really high quality study to show no effect on in young people or uh, people over 50 or 60. I can't remember the age cutoff. Um, mm-hmm. So I, it, again, there's a cost to doing them. And there are other things that I think would be more beneficial. So it's not something I would advise. Right. So we've talked a lot about exercises that we could do more gym type related. What about what type of recommendations do you have as far as working on our erectors that go up both sides of our vertebrae and our back and, and balance? Because it's so important at some point is if we are losing balance with age again, maybe we're losing balance when we're 25 or when we're 50 or, or 70, it could be at any time. But how important is balance and how much time would someone need to invest in training their balance should they want to really focus on fracture prevention and preventing falls. Yeah. So there was a really neat uh, network meta-analysis published recently that basically teased out the kind of things that were in exercise interventions that tended to be effective for preventing falls. Now, these are in people who are at risk of falls, um, but basically there's sort of four categories of balance exercises. So one is anticipatory control. So that's like Imagine if I asked you to stand on one foot, you'd instinctively shift your weight and change your body position, right? Or if you were about to climb upstairs, you would shift your weight and kind of move your positioning. So that's like you're kind of anticipating and therefore changing before you make a movement. Um, dynamic stability, being able to be stable while you're moving around in space. So keeping your, your, while your center of mass is moving, you're able to keep yourself stable and there's adjustments that you make there. And then, um, uh, stability limits. So challenging your stability limits. So um, these are activities that involve like reaching or leaning, right? So basically you have this kind of place where like you can only reach so far before you fall over, or you have to let you, you you stumble, right? So it's exercises that bring you to those limits and challenge you. And then reactive control. So any being able to react to perturbations or to um, instability, um, external sources of instability, ideally. So like so one of the extreme examples are like studies where they just like push people and like get them to oh. practice reacting. Um, okay. But, but it can be things like, um, you know, reacting to like, okay, I'm standing on unstable, I'm going through unstable surfaces and I have to react. Right. So those would be another example. So um, you want to have those kind of exercises that cover those four categories. Now, in terms of how long you need to spend, it's possible that you can incorporate exercises that do double duty, right? So like something like walking lunges, Mm -hmm. challenges your balance, but is also going to improve your strength, right? Um, You know, doing um, mobility type exercises that get you in positions where your body is moving around in space is going to challenge your balance. So I think Mm -hmm. it's, it's just about picking exercises that challenge those aspects of your uh, balance systems. And ideally, you know, if you if you're short for time, it's about choosing resistance exercises and impact exercises and aerobic exercises that do all of those things. So, you know, hiking in unfamiliar environments and where you're having to be unstable, like that, those would be good ways to press. So just doing things that challenge you every day, I think is the, yeah. the big thing and challenging those aspects of your balance, right? Right. So those, that's what I would say for balance training in terms of back extensors it's a similar thing, right? So, you know, you want to work on, so I actually think it's important to work on exercises for abdominals, exercises for back extensors and for shoulder stabilizers, right? So, but you can do that in a resistance training program. You don't need a whole separate posture program, right? So if I'm doing overhead shoulder presses, I'm getting back extensor activity, I'm working on my shoulder stabilizers, and I'm also building strength. 
right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's about doing them with proper form. So what I see a lot is people trying to do exercises that, um, and then they have problems with their shoulders. So, so like a shoulder press is a great example. So you sh- overhead shoulder presses, you really need to have good range of motion in your shoulders. You should be able to have your, when you reach overhead, your uh, arm should be able to be lined up with your ear without you having to stick your ribs out or bend yeah. your arm right? This is really hard in a podcast to describe. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, But if you can't like lift your arms overhead without having your ribs come up or whether bending your arms to get your arms next to you, then you have restricted shoulder range of motion. You shouldn't start throwing weight in your hands and trying to lift them overhead. Do you know what I mean? So instead you have to go, okay, well you do a a different exercise. So like um, I would do like a landmine press where you have the bar attached to a landmine and then you start at the place where your range is restricted. So if your arm only goes up this high, like so high, then that's where I do my press from, right? Mm -hmm. And then I eventually kind of work towards pressing higher and higher until I can get there and maybe do a really slow eccentric to kind of uh, stretch out, you know, muscles and and do the movement nice and slowly. So I'm working on mobility in addition to working on strength. And so in terms of back extensors, in an ideal world, I would pick carries uh, and dead bugs because those work both the lumbar. So the dead bugs work both the lumbar and thoracic extensors, and there's lots of different variations of them you can do. You just have to make sure you're doing them properly. So mm-hmm. I would add that in, but yeah. you will also get extensor and shoulder stabilizer exercises and a lot of other types of exercises and strength training exercises. Right. What I can do is maybe I can get some quality images from you of some of those exercises, like the dead bug. Maybe someone's listening and they're thinking... What's a dead bug? And I know there's different you versions. Google that. I think the yeah, exactly. I have with giving images is the version of the dead bug I would give to one person might be very different right. than another person. Yeah. Right? So like, we have a dead bug variation where you do one leg at a time, one arm at a time, and or keep the leg bent instead of straight. Um, whereas there's right. a really hard version I do where I have like a yoga block or something between my hand and my leg to stabilize a lot. And that makes it a lot harder. So there's there's a lot of different versions right. of it. And I think it's about learning how to do the version that's appropriate for you with proper form. That's true. So we're going to wrap up soon, but I'm curious, is there anything you feel like we haven't touched on that's important? I know we wanted to make sure that we got across that osteoporosis is not an old woman's disease, right? Men also have osteoporosis and it's something that we all need to preventatively take action on when we're younger. Is there anything else you feel like we haven't touched on? Yeah, I think um, I think it's important to certainly think about the types of exercises that are good for our bones and the actions. So we want to think, I, I think that too many people get focused on what do I need to do to increase my bone mass? And I think that it's also just important to think about, you know, like, what do I need to do to keep my body healthy and to prevent bone loss? And sometimes some of the strategies you can do to prevent bone loss, like eating enough, um, doing, um, you know, cause, cause increasing bone mass may not be a realistic goal for all people, right? So if someone mm-hmm. has really severe bone mineral density and they're on a medication for osteoporosis, it's highly unlikely that they're going to see increases in bone mass with exercise, um, right. large increases, especially, the mm-hmm. drugs might have an impact, but um, the, some of those drugs actually shut down bone remodeling. So it's going to be hard then to increase your bone mass. But it doesn't mean you don't do it. It just means that 
you you still focus on building muscle and working on reaction time and on balance and and maintaining bone and preventing additional bone loss. So sometimes for some people, the goal might be just preventing bone loss. And if we, if we can kind of shift that mindset and just say, mm-hmm. I want to choose habits that are going to help me train for life. I'm going to try to keep my balance, you know, improve my balance, you know, maintain or increase my muscle strength, maintain or increase my bone strength. So thinking more along, you know, all the aspects of fitness rather than I need to have a separate exercise program for each aspect and each disease I'm trying to prevent. Yeah. <laughs> Think more holistically about it um, in that you want to, you know, do things that challenge all aspects of fitness. So fitness is not defined by aerobic fitness. It's not defined by strength. It's all of those things. So we want to do things that challenge our aerobic fitness, that maintain or improve our strength, that maintain or improve our bone strength, that are good for agility and balance and neuromuscular function. And wherever you can get double duty in there, then you spend less time. So it doesn't, Mm -hmm. I mean, people get overwhelmed with having to do all these different things. And actually we did hear that when we had the original two fit to fracture recommendations, it was like, okay, well do strength training and do balance training and do exercises for your posture. And don't forget to get your 150 minutes of weight bearing physical activity. And people are just like, that's too much. I'm not going to do it. Right. Yeah. Like, especially a lot of the physicians were like, this is too overwhelming for me to tell my patients. So what should I tell them? What should we focus on? So the Mm -hmm. newer recommendations that are coming out kind of help people prioritize a little bit, right? To say, okay, look, if your real focus is fall and fracture prevention, we need to make sure we prioritize balance training and functional training, and then possibly adding in strength training. If bone density is really important to you, you could make sure you have something related to impact in. If posture is important to you, then make sure your resistance training program includes these exercises. So it's a bit more um, helping people to think through the prioritization exercise. But ultimately, um, for all of us, we want to, you know, think about choosing things every day that are going to challenge aspects of our fitness so that we can keep doing the things we want to do. Right. No, that's excellent. And I think it's so important as we get older, hey, I'm getting older, um, that we don't let our world shrink right? I find I even catch myself because let's say I can't run because I have a lot of degeneration in my neck. So then I find myself, oh, so can I do that and that? So I'm always very careful to exactly say what you're doing, do these functional things. And I'm lucky I have a a young daughter because maybe now I'll crawl around on the grass and, you know, do the wheelbarrows. But it is so important because sometimes I find that when you get really linear in what you do and you just kind of do that exercise, you almost can lose a lot of function. And then I find my world can get smaller like that. So sometimes for me, it's very intentional that I have to be like, right, expand your play box of movement yeah. and just try you know, new do, things. Do a variety of things. And, and, you know, it doesn't have to be like, okay, put my, put in my half hour at the gym. Like, you know, it's, okay. you know, I was waiting for my kid he was on a soccer field and there was like a landscaping thing with this big rock. And I'm just like, I'm going to jump up and down on this rock because I need to get some totally. in and you know, like it's, it doesn't yeah. have to be complicated. Right. Absolutely. I had to watch my daughter um, swimming and during COVID we had to stay outside of the building. So all these parents are like looking in the glass at our kids swimming. It's cold out, <laughs> but same thing. There's like these rocks and now I might as well do some step ups. Like yeah, I'm here for not? half an hour. Like yeah. not just gonna stand there. No, that's a great point. Excellent. Well, this has been super informative. I'm always keen on education about bone health. And again, the more I can get it out there, I think it's great. And you've made some amazing points that I will definitely highlight when I share this episode. And the last question I wanted to ask you is more around the 
your experiences and whether they be in life, in science, we all know that science is imperfect. Studies don't always go as planned. Uh, COVID through life, you know, many wrenches and everyone's plans. So I'm curious when you're going through something and the process isn't linear, maybe you had imagined it to be different and it takes a turn in a different direction. How do you, what type of mindsets do you have to help you overcome that imperfect progress? Hmm. So my initial reaction is usually to get angry and grumpy. Um, and so I, but I need that to happen. So I let myself, you know, react and hopefully not react at people, although that sometimes happens. And then I usually apologize profusely. Um, but, um, so that's my initial reaction. And then I kind of have to sit back and go, okay, like, what are the damages? Like, you know, what's the worst case scenario here? And how do I deal with that? And then what's my plan moving forward? So you always start with a plan and then it doesn't go the way you think. And so they're like, okay, well, this is what I got to deal with. So how do I, how do I move forward? So it's, you know, the same with exercise. It's like, I would ideally like to resistance train four times a week, but that very rarely happens. So I set forth a plan. It's like, okay, I'm going to do, you know, the whole body day on Tuesday, a whole body day on Thursday. And then, you know, uh, Saturday, Sunday, I'm going to split it up or lower. Let's just say that's my plan, right? So this week I have to, um, we had a soccer game. I had to, I have to go to Toronto tomorrow to give a talk. So that's not happening. So it's like, okay, so how do I change my plan? And yeah, my workout is not going to be what I want it to be, but I'm going to do something. So I'm going to come up with a variation on that plan. Or I wrote this grant. I thought for sure we were going to get it. Didn't get it. So now I'm like, what do we do? And so, okay, can I cut this up? Can, are there other places I can apply it? Can I come up with other, you know, strategies? So I think it's just about being resilient, um, Mm -hmm. making, revising your plan and being okay with that. Right. So just accepting, all right, this is going to happen. Can't change it. So I've got to figure out what my next plan is. Absolutely. I appreciate your honesty about letting yourself just deal with the initial frustration. Yeah, that's totally normal and okay. It doesn't have to be like, okay, I'm, you know, there's not a moment of frustration, but yeah, it's normal, I think, to get frustrated and then find solutions. You sound like you're a solution person. Like, okay, now what am I going to do? Yeah, well, I mean, you have to be. Otherwise, like, I mean, I can, there's certainly, there's some of that, you know, sitting in my anger and sorrow for a little bit. Um, You know, maybe not for the workouts, like that's not going to bother me that much. But like, yeah, you know, (laughs) applied for a grant this past year, and I thought for sure we were going to get it. And we didn't. And I'm like, that sucks, right? Mm -hmm. And sat with it for a day and just was kind of grumpy and sad. And then I'm like, all right, what's my next step? Well, we'll resubmit it here. Like, or we'll put it away for a while and come back to it. It's always nice to have a few grants in my back pocket that I can, if yeah. a grant call comes out, I'm like, hey, I could submit that thing. So, <laughs> right. So, yeah, I think it's just like, yeah, sure. Don't, don't feel like you have to force the anger and disappointment down. Like you can, ex- you can experience it. You're allowed to be upset that something didn't happen the way you wanted it to, but just exactly. try not to take it out on other people. Yeah, no, that's a good one. <laughs> So if people are listening, where can they learn more from you? Are there any resources you'd like to recommend? So we um, we have a, a kind of a newsletter, not newsletter, it's more like an email list where when we have studies happening or if there's new information, um, you know, people can be added to it. Um, so that's uh, boneslab at uwaterloo.ca. 
Um, and then we have a Facebook page, uh, UW Bones Lab, um, that people can follow, we'll post things here and there about the studies we're doing or about new research that comes out. Uh, we have a YouTube channel um, that we're slowly adding to, um, and that's Bones Lab, uh, like YouTube. Um, we did a recent video on OsteoStrong, which is a fairly controversial thing that has is all over the U.S. and there's now two centers in Canada, so um, we, you can check that out if you want. Um, there's a few other videos on there on protein intake and a few other things. Um, and then I'm on Twitter if people use Twitter, so that's great. Um, but yeah, Bones Lab at Waterloo.ca is like the contact for our team um, if people want to be added to our list or just have questions. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time today. Yeah, it was lovely talking to you. Thank you so much for listening. I always appreciate each one of you in this community. And I love knowing that you're taking the time to learn about your body so that you can keep it as healthy and as strong as possible so that you can live the most mobile, pain-free life possible and enjoy all of the activities that you love to do. And I know that working on your bones, it seems low on the list, but trust me, it's really important. Even though you don't see your bone health changing or feel it necessarily, trust me when I say it's an investment that will pay you back for life. To learn more from Dr. John Gregorio, follow her on Twitter, now called X. I'm really struggling with that, but that's okay. That's what it is now. Things change. Her handle there is L underscore G-I-A-N-G-R-E-G-O-R-I-O. So that's L underscore John Gregorio. And head to osteoporosis.ca to learn more about calcium-rich recipes, fracture prevention, and to use their calcium calculator, or just learn more about osteoporosis and bone health in general. It's a great resource. If you want to learn more from me, you can follow me on X or Twitter at Guzman Nutrition. Lastly, if you'd like to support me in this podcast, I would be super appreciative all you need to do is just stop right now and head over to applepodcast.com or to Spotify, scroll to the bottom, give the podcast a five-star rating if you love what you're hearing and leave a comment. This does so much to push the podcast out to more people. I know it doesn't sound like a big ask, but it's difficult for people to stop and take the time. So I just want to let you know, everyone who has done this, I am very grateful. It makes a big difference. And then what we're doing is we're pushing credible science-based information out to more people. And that is the number one reason I take the time to have these conversations. So once again, I appreciate each and every one of you. Just remember that progress is imperfect. Sometimes you'll be rolling with the punches and other times you're just gonna feel like you're going uphill into a wicked headwind. And we just need to know that everything is temporary and sometimes you don't notice how beautiful the light is if you don't have the darkness. And I know that's hard to remember when you're in the darkness, but without the juxtaposition, sometimes it's more difficult to enjoy the bright times. Everything serves a purpose in life. So for now, just keep on moving, whether you're crawling, walking, or running, everything will change and everything is temporary and things will get better 
if they're not great right now. I'll talk to you next time. Cheers. 